first reading is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 3, verses 1 to 26, and that's on page 1094 in the Church Bibles. So Acts 3, 1 to 26. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as, can, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, Through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. 
when God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. verse 11, starting on page 1095. So Acts 4, 1, 2, 5, 11. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead, they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them, and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, when they know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in, that, in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? 
The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hands to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Amen. Well, I don't know if you can remember what you were doing a few weeks ago, but um, I'd like you to imagine something. Imagine that a few weeks ago, your best friend was on trial and the people in power wanted him dead. And they had nothing on him. But the people in power got their way and had your friend brutally killed, tortured to death. And you were so afraid of what these powerful people might do to you that you denied even knowing him. 
Well, fast forward to today, and you've just spent the night in jail for speaking about your friend. And now you're brought from your jail cell, and you're brought face to face with the very people behind your friend's death. Powerful people. And they ask you, in whose name have you been speaking? How do you feel in that moment? How do you feel when these powerful people threaten you and warn you, stop speaking in your friend's name. Stop speaking in Jesus' name, or you'll regret it. Well, that's what Peter and John faced in our passage. And we won't face just what they did, but if you're a Christian believer, maybe you can relate to to this. Being under pressure not to speak about Jesus. Can you relate to that? Maybe you're at school or at work. And when you go in there, it's not like there's a sign on the wall that says, we don't speak about Jesus here. But it doesn't need to be, because that's just taken for granted. It doesn't need to be said. And if you did speak about Jesus, you'd really stand out. You know, what would happen? Would the people in my year make fun of me? Would I lose my friends? Would my colleagues write me off as a weirdo, something worse? Or maybe it's a more specific fear. Imagine one day at work, uh, there's a lull, and your colleagues and you get chatting, and you decide to bring Jesus into the conversation. And as far as you can tell, it all goes okay. You have a nice chat, and sooner or later, everyone goes back to work. It's all good. Until a week later, your boss tells you that they've received a complaint about you for making your colleagues feel uncomfortable with your religious beliefs. And then a disciplinary process gets going. And you're in front of a panel who basically warn you to stop talking about Jesus if you want to keep your job. Do you ever worry about something like that? Well, if you can relate to any of that, being under pressure not to speak about Jesus, then this story from Acts 4 should be really helpful for us. We're looking at that chunk from verse 23 on page 1096. And this story gives us something to know and something to do. And I should say, even if you're not yet a Christian believer, um, feeling pressure not to speak about Jesus, I think this should still be helpful for us. Something to know and something to do. Here's the thing to know. Opposition to Jesus is part of God's plan. That's the truth that Peter and John come back to. But notice, Peter and John don't do that alone. They do it in community. Just glance down at verse 23. Scan verse 23. Isn't this interesting? When Peter and John are brought before a disciplinary tribunal for speaking about Jesus, their first move afterwards is to get together with other Christians, to surround themselves with their own people, as the writer puts it, where they can share what they've gone through and the pressure they're under. In other words, when speaking about Jesus is costly, church family is their support network, a place they can go to to belong when others exclude them, a place where they'll be listened to and prayed for. And that's the kind of community that we want to be, isn't it? When someone gets it in the neck for speaking about Jesus, we want to be there for each other. In our small groups, for example, when someone's under pressure, uh, 
We want to make space to be there for that person, to listen and pray. So important. Sometimes we have uh, military images for the Christian life, don't we? We're soldiers sent out into the world to fight the good fight, fight, witness for Christ. Well, even soldiers need a field hospital to retreat to when the fight has left them battered and bruised, where they can be bandaged up and cared for. That's what we want to be for each other as a community. And just briefly, if you skip ahead to verse 32, you'll see that this church community, they support each other in really tangible ways, sharing money and possessions where there's need. Now, I'm not going to say much about this. Um, If you want to think more about those verses than the first Sunday of this year, Steve did a talk called Christ's People and Possessions. And you can find that online if you want to go deeper. Here's something, though. If someone fears that speaking about Jesus is going to be costly, that it might even cost them their job, well, isn't it going to be a lot easier for that person if they know they've got a community that's going to look out for them if that happens? A community that will support them if speaking about Jesus reduces their income. Just one way that our life as a community makes it more plausible for us to live for Jesus. Anyway, when Peter and John come under pressure for speaking about Jesus, they come together with other Christians. And as a community, here's the big truth they trust in. Opposition to Jesus is part of God's plan. Look back, if you would, at verse 24. We're just going to read a bit. When they heard this, how Peter and John have been threatened, they raised their voices together in prayer to God, Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And they quote Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. And verse 28 is the punchline. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. The cross. Opposition to Jesus has never been more successful than at the cross, has it? Jesus' enemy's greatest triumph was killing him. They came up with a plan, let's call it Operation Kill Jesus. And they got together, and they plotted, and conspired, and carried out their plan. And Operation Kill Jesus was a roaring success. Jesus died, just like his enemies planned. But these Christians, they see things differently, because they look at those events through the lens of their Bibles, And here's what they see. The cross was God's plan. Because they know that God's the creator who rules over all things. Even world leaders who rebel against him. He rules over the Herods, the Pilots, the tyrants. They couldn't even exist without him. Verse 25, God said in advance these guys would gang up against his anointed one Jesus. 
And they did, right on schedule. And verse 28 goes even further. God didn't just know in advance about Operation Kill Jesus. He planned it way before Operation Kill Jesus was his enemy's plan. It was God's plan. In fact, just look again at verse 28. It doesn't say, God, you foresaw what their power and will decided beforehand should happen, or God, you allowed what their power and will decided beforehand should happen. It says, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Your plan. Here's what this means. Opposition to Jesus has never been more successful than at the cross. And even the cross was God's plan. Served his purposes. And if that opposition was part of God's plan, of course this opposition is too. When Christians are disciplined for speaking about Jesus, things haven't gone wrong. God's still in control. Opposition to Jesus is part of his plan. That's the thing to know about this morning. You know, we might face opposition for speaking about Christ. But if we do, it might seem like things have gone wrong, but they haven't. God's still in control. Look through the lens of the Bible. Opposition to Jesus is part of God's plan. And so what do we do when we're under pressure not to speak about Jesus? What do we do? Well, here's what this story shows us. Opposition is part of God's plan, and so we pray for boldness to speak. Isn't it striking? When these Christians are threatened not to speak about Jesus and they get together, what's the first thing they do? Maybe we'd expect them to strategize. You know, we need a plan to handle these threats. Maybe we'd expect them to sue. You know, we need to get this verdict overturned, protect our freedom of speech. Well, the first thing these Christians do is they hold a prayer meeting. Their first response is to pray. And they don't ask God to take the opposition away. They know opposition is part of his plan. So verse 29, they ask God to make them bold. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Here's what they pray. Lord, make us bold to speak in Jesus' name. They even ask God to do amazing things that'll back up what they're saying. Signs and wonders, healings. Um, by the way, don't you love how earlier the writer mentions how this lame man was, was miraculously healed? And even more amazing, he was over 40 years old. <laughs> That's great. Now, Christians have different views on whether to expect this stuff today. And uh, among us, I imagine we have different views. But don't miss the thrust of this prayer. Lord, we're under pressure not to speak about Jesus, but we know it's part of your plan. So please, please make us brave. Give us courage to speak and do amazing things that'll back it up. Do you pray like that? Well, this prayer's for you. If left to yourself, 
you're scared to speak about Jesus. When these guys pray for boldness, they're admitting that they're afraid. Boldness isn't a character trait that you either have or you don't. It's a gift from God. If fear holds us back, pray for boldness, which is a big prayer to pray. Sometimes our prayers are smaller than that. Um, maybe something like this. Lord, consider the threats of the people at school and at home and at work and enable your servant to avoid confrontation and enable your servant to have a comfortable life where I can talk about Jesus and everyone will like me and enable your servant to get through this project or get through these exams without such a stressful thing getting in the way. I say that because I know my own selfish tendency to protect myself and how easy it is to excuse. You know, I would speak about Jesus, but the conditions aren't right yet. I will, but just in a bit later. If you know what I mean, we need to pray for boldness. We need God's help, not to give into the pressure and not to speak. Because the name of Jesus must be heard. That's the conviction that drove people like Peter and John. There's no other name by which people must be saved. No other name, no other hope. The name of Jesus must be heard in their city, in our city, our schools, our workplaces. So knowing our weakness, we ask for boldness to speak. This week, maybe there's a friend or a neighbor or a colleague you'd love to speak to about Jesus, but where to begin? Well, it's good to think ahead about what you might say, and there are loads of good books to help us speak better about Jesus, and great to share tips with each other. But don't forget this. Don't forget to pray. Pray for boldness. Maybe that's where to start and what to keep doing. Pray for boldness to speak. And as we do that, here's a final thing. We expect God to answer. Check out how the story ends in verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Their prayer for boldness is answered dramatically. Now, we don't usually get all this drama when we pray. Imagine if we did. Imagine if when we sat on that and the church building just started shaking. That would be something. Well, we don't get the drama, but what's going on here is it's like the curtain is being pulled back to reveal what happens when we pray like this. And it's dramatic. God sends his spirit who makes us bold to speak about Jesus, which is what the spirit loves to do. He loves to draw attention to Christ like someone with a spotlight. doesn't want to point it at himself. He wants to point to Jesus. Let's expect him to do that when we pray through us. Pray for boldness and expect him to answer. See, we said earlier, the name of Jesus must be heard. It can't go unheard in our city. Well, what we see here is the name of Jesus will be heard it will be heard because God is the one behind it. God is the one driving forward 
this speaking of Jesus' name. And we're living proof of that. If you were here last week for the beginning of this series in Acts, then you'll have heard how Jesus uh, promised his followers they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, like in this story, and in Judea and Samaria and out to the whole ends of the earth, how his spirit would help them do that. And here we are at the ends of the earth, living proof in Cambridge 2022 that Jesus keeps his promise. The spirit does equip his followers to speak about him. His name will be heard. And as we go through this book, we'll see that opposition to Jesus gets worse, that his followers are persecuted, even killed. But like the cross, opposition to Jesus can't stand in his way. It's part of God's plan. It just ends up fulfilling his purposes. So when we face pressure not to, not to speak about Jesus, remember, opposition to Jesus is part of God's plan. So we ask for boldness to speak, and we expect God to answer. Well, uh, shall we do that now? Let's pray. Father God, we praise you that you are sovereign over all things, even over opposition to your Son. We praise you that the cross, before it was Jesus' enemy's plan, was your great plan to save many people, uh, to bring us forgiveness and new life and hope. And we praise you, Father, that today you're still sovereign over whatever opposition Jesus and Jesus' people face. So we pray, Father, help us to trust that. And please make us bold to speak about Jesus. Lord, we'd love to speak more freely about him. But left to ourselves, we're afraid. So please help us. Please give us courage. Please send your spirit and make us brave to speak about him. And we pray it would be for his glory and for the good of many people. Amen.